Good morning, everybody. Before I get started with my message, I'm going to bring uh, Val and Dave up and uh, just share something real, real quick. They're going to come right up here and share in just a second. Um, I'll give this to you so you can be ready. <laughs> um, last week, we brought on uh, a 1,000 deacons and elders. I don't know if you were here for that, but like, when I called for the deacons and elders, the church basically emptied. But, um, and we're doing that on purpose. Uh, we've shared before. We're gearing up. We operate as an eldership team, leadership team. Uh, by the word of the Lord. What's the Lord saying to us as a church and what do we need to be doing about it? That's, by the way, a discipleship question that you need to always be asking. What is the Lord saying to you personally and what do you need to be doing about it? As long as you can answer those two questions, man, you're going to be on track and the enemy's not going to be able to get you off track. Um, but as we brought some people on, um, Dave and Val are going to be stepping off the team. So one of the, one of the most beautiful and healthy things about um, a healthy leadership team and a healthy church is not just how you bring people on a team, but how people are able to step off of a team. And one of the things we talk about in grace teams where everybody serves is you serve for a year and then everybody is automatically off the team. <laughs> and it's not because we're firing everybody. What we're doing is we're, we're recognizing that people have seasons, they have challenges in life, they have, the Lord calls them into different things and other things. Sometimes he calls them into the same thing over and over and over again, and it's beautiful. We usually see that in the leadership when they've really discovered it, and they know this is what they're supposed to, doing, supposed to be doing. But the reason we do that is because it's so often, I, know, I don't know if you grew up in church, but I got saved in, when I was about 19 or 20, and one of the big challenges was if you ever volunteered for something, man, hang your hat there because you're not coming off that team ever. You almost have to you know, punch the pastor in the face to get off the team, right? Don't, don't do that. <laughs> but, but part of what we want to do is just recognize that healthy teams have people coming on the team and they have people stepping off the team. And, and all the, all, that happens all the time. Andrew Sharp, you guys, we're, we're going, uh, he's planting a church next week. Uh, he and another elder at the same time came to me and said, hey, we feel like the Lord's calling us to step off team for the season. Um, what do you think? And I said, absolutely, feel like that's the Lord. And, uh, and God was able to meet all the needs that we had, and he blessed them, and he blessed us. Same thing's happening with these guys. As they step off team, don't you think it's really interesting that um, there's so many other people who are stepping on, on the team at the same time? So it's bittersweet, and we love them and hate that they're stepping off team, but do sense that that's uh, the Lord is, as they kind of are being led by the Lord. We want to make sure that we honor that as well. So we want to give them just a second and share, and we're going to pray over them. Just tap it. There you go. Oh, it's green. Okay. Here. Um, well, like Dave was saying, each year we do evaluate as leadership team, and um, it actually was not really on our radar to step off. And so, but as a you know leadership, we just we go home and we pray about it, and we both felt like the Lord said this is the season to step off. We had no idea. We the only thing we really knew is that just as quickly as the Lord said yes to step on. He confirmed and said, yes, it's time to step off. And so whether that's a season or whatever that looks like, mm -hmm. we both are, as a family are in agreement that that's just kind of what's going on for us. And we as leaders knew all of the people that were, we were talking to to come on as deacons and elders, but we had not heard all the yeses yet. So we went to Dave and Karen and our current leadership team, and they're like, you know, if this is what the Lord's saying. And then we heard all of the yeses that came on. And so yeah. we had no idea because that was one of the stressors, like, we're abandoning everybody, and we're stepping <laughs> off. And, no. and so the main thing when we stepped on is the Lord, that the Lord had for us is that we were to love the body and support the body and love our leadership and support leadership. And us stepping off doesn't, sorry, does not change the call that the Lord had for us. And so whether we're on leadership or off leadership, yeah. we love this body and we support this body and we love our leadership and support this leadership. And so we are excited to just ask the Lord, what's going on now yeah, for us? Like, what, are, what do you have for us, Lord? So um, that's kind of all that I had. Did you have anything you wanted to? No? I love okay. it. All right. Well, we're just, we're going to pray for you, pray over you guys. So we've got our elders up here. David and Callie would be here, but they were selfish and went and had a baby. So other than <laughs> whatever, we'll talk to him about it. He, he sent a word in this morning, so that was good. He was still on duty. I love that. <laughs> we just want to pray for these guys, and would you pray with, it, with us for them just for the next season, what the Lord has for them? We know it's going to be beautiful, and we're excited about it. So Jesus, thank you, first of all, Lord, for the service um, to people who love you, Lord, first of all. Um, Paul wrote to the church, he said, I, I love that you gave yourself first to the Lord and then to us. And Lord, this has been the mark of their life, that they love you first, and then they love everything and anything else next. And so Jesus, thank you for... Um, the ability to honor what is honorable. So, Lord, thank you for the service. Lord, these, these guys served faithfully 
through COVID. Oh my goodness, Lord, what a challenge that has been. And they were faithful through the whole thing. And so, Lord, we just say thank you, Lord. We honor them. We bless them. We love them. We say thank you for their friendship. Thank you for their, uh, the, what they've brought and what they've contributed to what you're doing in this local church, Lord, what you're doing in the kingdom. Uh, Lord, what you're doing with Andrew and Jamie, Lord, as they've contributed into their lives and prayed over them and loved them and, and ser- served and supported them as well. So, Lord, we just say what an honor it is to bless them and say thanks for their service. And Lord, now we pray as they go into this next season, Lord, would you bless their socks off, Lord? Would you just give to them, Lord, the fruit of their labor? Lord, the relationships and the friendships, every good thing, Lord, comes from the Father above. And, Lord, you give it without, uh, without any grumbling or complaining, Lord. Um, you're not like us in that way, Lord. So we just say thank you, Lord, and we release them, Lord. They're always in your favor. They're always in your love, and we just look forward to amazing and wonderful things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Let's give them a hand. Woo! I love you. <laughs> I love you, man. All right. You guys ready for uh, a message this morning? Well, ready or not, here I come. Right? <laughs> That's how that works. Um, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles. Um, it's going to be in Peter in just a minute. I'm going to read this. But let me start by, by uh, sharing. We, as we launch um, community groups this morning, uh, I, I thought as I was getting ready to prepare for this message, I really started thinking about the first time I really experienced community in a church. And for Karen and I, we were about 20 years old. We had, we had uh, joined the Air Force gone through all the training, they sent us over to England, and we were stationed in England where that was going to be the, the place that we were going to be for the whole time. Um, and I thought, you know, they spoke English, I found out they don't, uh, I don't know what their problem is, but they didn't, I couldn't understand half the things they were saying. People would literally stop Karen on the street in the village we lived in and just ask her to talk. She had a deep southern accent then, even worse than it is now. Um, but we connected with a local church there, God brought us into that. It's, I'll tell that story another day, but it was amazing. And, and the people that we connected with, we, those guys are our friends even to this day. Um, one of the guys at that church was the guy who led me to the Lord. He, he uh, served a great career in the Air Force. Uh, I remember when I got called in the ministry, I went to him. I was a little bit arrogant. I know that's hard for you guys to believe, but I was at that point. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, Tom, you know, do you think you'll ever get called into the ministry? As if that was a, you know, I'm, I'm clergy now and he's laity, right? But he's the one that wanted me to Jesus. It was so bad. And so he said, well, Dave, he goes, you know, I've been in ministry the whole time. As a matter of fact, um, I won you to Jesus. And so anybody that you win, that's on me as well. So I'm just saying. And I was like, dang, brother, that was, that, was, that was hardcore. I had it coming. I mean, he said it in kindness, but, but I had it coming. But Tom has, has been a friend all those years and, and the times that we've connected with him over the last uh, 30-something years. Every time we sit down together, it's, it's like we just literally there was a comma, and we just started up again. And so we've had that, uh, our experience in, uh, in uh, Atlanta. I mean, there's so many places where we built community and connected with believers. It's been so amazing. But I remember in England, we used to have a lot of fun. We would do events together. That's what kind of, we were, all of us were young, so we played football a lot, and we'd go out, and it was hard because it would rain, and we canceled it the first several times, and we realized it always rains in England, and so if you're going to play football, you're just going to play football in the rain. So we would go out and do that, and then we'd go eat somewhere. It was just a blast. We built such deep relationships the good times, the bad, all that was amazing. But we used to have a lot of fun because July 4th we would go out, you know, celebrate Independence Day. And so we would, we would go out <laughs> in the parks in England and wear our colors, so to speak, like we were a gang or something. Anyway, we, <laughs> and we would just, you know, constantly, we just every Brit that we would see, we would just, you know, tell them Happy Fourth of July. And it was just such a fun thing to do. Um, and so anyway, I was thinking about that. And I remembered it was really interesting about how the United States uh, – the United States is so independent. Like you see that, like, you know, John Wayne is kind of our, like our, our hero, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's kind of what America is known for is its independence. We celebrate Independence Day, right? And so it was really fascinating. We're coming up on 250 years as a nation. And uh, we all remember probably, if, if, when I quote this, you'll know it. You'll, this is from the, um, from the uh, Declaration of Independence. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the creator, and you kind of could go through some of the rest. What most people don't ever get to is the very last part of that, of that document. It says this. It says, we, we mutually, it's an interesting word, isn't it? we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And it was put to the test, <laughs> as we all know. What was interesting is really that was Independence Day, 4th of July. 
it really the next day should have been called Dependence Day, right? Because what we did was we, we, we separated and gained our independence from another, another country, but we became something that was united, and we forget that. We think of it as America, but America had been discovered long, long ago, the Americas, and so we became the United States of America. As a matter of fact, um, in one of the founding documents, the draft for the Declaration of Independence, this is what it says, a declaration of the representatives of the United States of America. That was in the first draft. And then the final version of the declaration starts with a date, July 4, 1776, and then this is the following state, statement for that document. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. Woo, America, right? <laughs> I'm a patriot. I, I, I fought in the military. I, I mean, I'm a patriot. I love it. Uh, my, first, my first love is Jesus, obviously, and, but I love my nation, and I love what we are and so many things that we represent, but one of them we get a bad rap is we forget that when, when we left and we, we brought independence from something, we didn't stay independent. We got dependent real, real quick, and so those colonies banded together, and what we now have is 50 united states. And so anyway, we could go on and on about that. But the culture is so challenging sometimes because we forget the dependence that we, we brought into one another and what we bring. I mean, we, we watched the, the, uh, the football game, the recent uh, championship game, uh, bittersweet moment, right? But, we, you know, as soon as the game was over and Alabama had lost and, you know, we were all crying and then we got past that, every one of us was like, well, you know what? At least we kept it in the SEC, right? Right? Georgia won, so woo, yay, we hate Georgia, but we, we hate other states way more than we hate Georgia, right? So especially the Yankee states and those whatever those ones out, communist ones out west or whatever. But, <laughs> but when we were overseas, you pick a fight with one of us, you picked a fight with all of us. And that's still the case. We have our differences in the United States of America, but when it comes to it, you pick on one of us, you have picked on all of us. I promise you that. And we've seen that happen n- numerous times all across the world. But you have, to, you have to make a choice about being dependent on something. And our culture, because it pushes back so much and challenges us to be independent, to, you know, to do your own thing, and all those things to some degree are good, but we forget that we were made, literally made, to depend on one another. But you have to make a choice. The Bible is so full of things about community and about connection. I mean, I, I've preached this a million different ways. But just a couple of scriptures. One is literally the very first thing the Bible addresses in the Bible is not sin, but solitude. Did you know that? This is Genesis chapter 2, it's, uh, verse 18. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's just not. It's not good for us to be alone. Solomon addressed it. He had everything that you could possibly imagine. He had all the wealth, he had all the fame, the wisdom, possessions. And this is what he said about himself in Ecclesiastes. He said, there was a man who was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. And that's a picture so often of what we see. We chase after so many things in this lifetime. You know, we're going we're gonna to get ours. We're going to get houses and cars and, you know, things we're going to have. And we build this big pile of stuff. And when it's all said and done, if we're not careful, we're like Solomon, who built all of that. He had everything you could imagine. He had a bigger pile than any of us ever will have, right? And he said, with all of his toil, the fact that he worked so hard to get that, and, and that was a good thing, but he said his eyes, they were never content with what, he had. And part of the reason why is because he had it alone. And so I just want to challenge you. My goal this morning is just to get you into godly relationships. Of course, part of that, what we do at DCF is community groups. So I'm going to encourage you to get into a community group. I'm going to tell you why, and hopefully I can convince you. And, and if I can't, then I'll try again um, in a couple of weeks, but we'll try it today. So many of you either don't have groups or you don't have community or you've had it and you lost it because something terrible happened. And so we, we go into this this place if we're not careful, oftentimes we're in solitude, not necessarily because we want to, but we want to because we've been hurt really, really deeply. And so uh, we were sharing this uh, recently with someone about the fact if we're not careful, we build a castle and we put a big moat around it and we pull the drawbridge up and we go inside and I feel really, really safe for a season until I starve to death. Right, because that's the way castles work. They're beautiful, and you put all your work into them. But they were meant to have a gate. They were meant for things to come in and go out. It was always meant to be a connected thing. It was never supposed to be isolated. So there may be some excuses. There's some challenges maybe for you in why you don't do community or why you don't lean in the way you know that you probably ought to. And so I'm just going to give you a couple of those. 
um, shoot them out of the water, and then we're going to move on to a couple of ways you can choose community. The first one is naivety. I mean, this one's easy. This one's just is, I didn't know community was important. I, nobody had ever taught me. Well, I'm teaching you now, so we can cross that one off the list, right? That was an easy one, right? You thought that one's going to take a while. It's not. So, but let me give you an example of what this looks like when you think you have, you think you have it all and you don't recognize what you don't have. So there's a story uh, of Muhammad Ali. Most of you guys have heard this. He was on an airplane. The stewardess came back and he hadn't buckled his seatbelt. And she said to him, uh, Mr. Ali, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she said, Superman don't need no plane either. Buckle up. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, so often we have these ideas that, you know, I'm okay without people. I don't really need people. And again, like building that castle for a season, you are okay. And, and that's why it's so deceptive, why it's so, it's so dangerous is because for a season you, you'll do fine. But eventually you will starve yourself into oblivion because no one was meant to be alone. Another excuse is, well, I have a different kind of temperament. You know, everybody can't be outgoing like you, Dave. Right, and so you think I'm outgoing. I don't know if y'all saw my wife earlier, but um, my wife just—if she makes eye contact with you, you will be best friends. It'll just take a little time, but she will wear you down and be your friend. Right? My wife is the most outgoing person I've ever met in my entire life. I don't know how in the world she didn't get stolen when she was young, kidnapped off the street. She literally said she rode her bicycle all around Dothan, and she probably knew everybody in Dothan at that time. Right? We literally go into restaurants from time to time, and Karen left when she was like 12 from. Dothan, we will go into a restaurant and somebody will see her and go, are you Karen Hale? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me because it's not people we've known in the last 12 years. It's people she knew when she was 12 years old and younger who still know her. That's an impact, right? But everybody can't be Karen in their temperament. So you make excuses and go, well, I'm, you know, I'm more reserved and, you know, I don't need to do that. But just let me, let me just say this. I, I'm going to lean in as a pastor because I love you and I want to be super I want to be super careful and, and, and very kind about how I say this if you feel like you have a temperament where you just can't get involved with groups and, and community. So, so here, I'm going to say it softly. Get over it. <laughs> so now I'm done with that one. The next one is fear, right? <laughs> so fear is, you know, fear is legitimate. Fear sometimes it's because we, we, we're afraid. You know, I've never been to a small group. You have this idea, especially if you've never done this, if you're new to church, if you're new as a Christian, or you're not even a Christian, maybe. And you're like, okay, I'm going to join a community group, and you have it in your head what's going to happen. You're going to show up for the group. You're going to walk in the door. They're going to shut the door and lock it behind them, right? <clears throat> then there's going to be a circle of chairs and one chair in the middle with your name on it, right? They're going to sit you down. <laughs> They're all going to sit down, and they're going to start praying for you. Then they're going to bring out the snakes, right? And then they're going to cast all the devils out of you. And then, so you've got this in your head of what this is going to look like. They're going to judge you. They're going to get you to confess all your sins, and then they're going to judge you deeply. And can I just tell you the opposite is going to happen? I mean, we're not going to bring out the snakes to at least the second meeting, <laughs> right? The opposite's going to happen. You, your people are going to love you. It's going to be an amazing moment. You're going to sit down. You're going to, you know, at some point, you're going to get up the courage to share. And maybe you confess something. You may, you may say, you know what, I'm, I'm really, really struggling with this. And you're going to be surprised because you know what's going to happen when you say that? Half the room is going to say, me too. I'm struggling with that too. And you're like, are you kidding me? You're the pastor. You can't be struggling, right? Or you're the pastor's wife. You can't be struggling except with the pastor. But you, you understand what I'm saying? It's like we, we have this idea that everybody's perfect. Everybody's doing so much better than me. And there are some people who are healthier, who are doing better in you some arenas. But, but they have their own struggles just like anybody and everybody. Nobody's perfect and we get it. So there's this beautiful quote by C.S. Lewis. I love this. He said, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And see, what you find is when you begin to communicate and connect with people, they begin to love you deeply from the heart, which is what you've heard us say that. That's, what, that's our passion, what we want to do at DCF. And if DCF is known for anything, it's known for that, to love one another deeply from the heart. And the beautiful thing about that is there's forgiveness, there's mercy, there's kindness. We believe in grace, that there's grace for your challenges and your brokenness. And, it can, and the whole idea is when we do that together, we bring one another through into health, into wholeness, into joy, into what groups we're supposed to be, to love you and benefit you and bless you and not tear you down, but to build you up. Amen, that's what we're going after. So uh, people are going to say they struggle too, and you're going to get it. You're going to recognize this is my tribe. This, these are my people. These are the people who get it. 
The other one that's really tough is past experiences. That's kind of connected with fear, right? Something's happened. I've been hurt. I've been burned. But let me just say this, that the pain you've experienced wasn't just in that relationship. There was something deeper that the enemy was trying to do. He wasn't just trying to, to hurt you and damage you, whether it was a husband and wife relationship that went south, brother and sister, mom and dad, or a falling out in a church or with someone who was in authority. The enemy wasn't just about damaging that relationship between those two people. He was about damaging every other relationship that came after that one. And if he can keep you from stepping into those relationships, he recognizes a truth, this principle in Scripture, that one can put a 1,000 to flight, but two, not put 2,000, but 10,000. It begins, as we gather together and build together, it begins to be exponential what the Lord can do in our life. So 100% of everybody in this room, I promise you, half of us could stand up here and tell you right now, when we were hurt, how bad it felt, the decisions we made to push people away and to push God away, and then most of us can tell you the journey back. We found something that where it had been abused and been misused, we found people who loved us and who did it well, who used community to bless us and not curse us, to, to, you know, to, to serve and pour into us, not take advantage of us, and on and on it goes. You're going to hear testimonies constantly, and that's what you'll find in every group that you connect with. You're going to hear testimonies of what the enemy tried to do to destroy and to bring brokenness and hurt through broken relationships, and you're going to see God. You're going to see what God can do to bring people into fresh relationships, into new ones, and you're going to find, literally, you're going to find the great joy of your life in that. We did that. I remember when we went to, to uh, Atlanta uh, something like 15 years ago. We had been um, away for a while. We had planted some churches, and we were just kind of back into the business world and doing our thing, making really, really good money, living down in Destin near the beach. I mean, it just doesn't get much better than that, except we were not happy. We weren't satisfied inside. We had nice things, but our soul was hurting. And when we connected, we ended up moving to Atlanta and became part of that church. Our lives, it was a, the worst time financially for us in our entire, entire adult life. But everything else, the relationships, the, the joy, the pouring in of the, of the Father into our lives, the sense of, of camaraderie and feeling of belonging and celebrated and honored for who we were and who God made us to be, that's what we experienced probably in the biggest way that we've ever had in our entire lives. And we have that here. That's what we do at DCF. We bring transformation, right? That's what we're trying to do through grace. That's that love for one another and the power of God's Spirit where we serve one another in the gifts and the ministry of the Spirit of God, and it's going to turn your life around, but you got to make a choice to connect. So if you've been burned, would you give it another chance? I'm just asking. You don't have to. Nobody's going to force you. You live in America. Nobody's going to do that, right? <laughs> That's one beautiful thing about us, but it would be worth your while, I promise you. I'm just asking you, would you risk again? Would you, would you trust again? Would you make one more, one more, give it one more shot? That's all I'm asking. If you do, I promise you, God's going to meet you there and he's going to bless you. The last one is probably the one that I've, I'm challenged with the most, and that's busyness. Um, I'm really, really busy. I'm the only person on staff at the moment, uh, which means I'm the janitor. and I'll just, I could go down the list, but you know all of it, right? So thank God we have grace teams and we have people over the years who have stepped into those callings. We have people who are doing the thing that God called them to do. But when you first plant a church or you come into a church and it's small, man, you do everything. And you, you have to. You have to be a jack of all trades. Um, I, I joke all the time, one of the, one of the things they need to teach in Bible college is facility maintenance because you do a lot of that when you have a building, right? And if you're by yourself and you don't know how to do it, you have to hire it out. It costs money. So learn how to do that. If, if you're going into ministry, learn how. Just go be a contractor for like two years, right? That's all you need to do. So you understand how buildings work. Anyway, it's a good thing to do. And I didn't do that. So it's a real challenge when you're the only one here. So you get really, really busy. And if you're not careful, you, you'll, you're absorbed by everything that happens in the church and you don't have time for anything. So I, that's the one that I probably am challenged with the most. Um, I, don't I didn't have room for a long time. I didn't have any room in my life. There was no margin. And so if, if we're not careful, ministry, especially for, for me, can really, really begin to hurt my relationship with my wife. And Karen and I have, have struggles throughout 30 years of ministry. We've had the struggles where ministry has taken up way more time than my, relation, my relationship with my wife. And we find it. We recognize it when it happens. We do everything we can to prevent it. But when we recognize it happening, we, we do what's necessary to fix that because if Karen and I aren't healthy, there's no way we're going to lead a healthy church. It's just not going to happen. And so I, I just challenge you, get into these healthy relationships. If you're busy, it, here's the thing, if you're too busy for small groups, guess what? You're too busy because God made you to be in connection and relationship with people, not on a surface level, but the Bible says to love one another 
deeply from the heart. That means you're going to have to risk being hurt. That means you're going to have to get past defensive. Somebody's going to rub you the wrong way. Welcome to life in a fallen world. It's going to happen. But the beautiful, beautiful thing about it is in a Christian community, there is forgiveness, there's love, there's mercy, there's building one another up in love, and that's what God's called us to do. Let me read you Psalm 90:12. It says, it says this thing about time. This is the challenge for me is time. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In other words, um, you don't get to the end of your life and go, you know, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Right? It's just not what happens. You wish you'd spent more time with your family and, and, and all those things. Ephesians 5 says it too. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I often will meet with somebody and they'll be sitting there and it'll be the first time we've connected and we're having coffee and you know, we'll maybe take an hour or something or sometimes even longer. And I work, I learn to work in blocks of time. The reason why that's important in my job is because something can happen real quick and, you know, there's an emergency or there's a, a, a crisis and I need to be right there and whatever I need to do, it needs to, I need to be able to walk away from it and walk back into it when I can. So I work in blocks of time. So because of that, if I schedule a coffee with somebody and I'm sitting down with somebody, I've shared some of this with most of you guys at some point, and they start feeling like, you know what, I'm, I, I've taken too much of your time. I always tell them, I, right now, where I am with you is where I want to be. Because if it wasn't, I've learned this. You wouldn't be talking to me right now. So I'm not going to waste my time. My time is incredibly valuable, just like yours is. But if we're here together, it's because it's what I need to be doing. And when you get that, when you recognize the things that are the most valuable, and you give your time to relationship, you give your time to those coffees, those times where you come over and help somebody in the yard, you go help them do a, a task, whatever, you're working in the church together, you're working in kids' church or one of the grace teams, when you do that, what you find is the Bible says that we build one another up in love, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's worth giving your time to. So let me share this scripture. Uh, David Woodham, we just shared this morning, uh, David Callie on our eldership team just had a brand new baby, and he sent a scripture in this morning that we prayed over and then uh, opened the service with, uh, one of them. And this is part of that scripture. This is 1 Peter 4.8. It says, above all. So let me just say something. If you're reading your Bible and you come across a passage and the words, the words of those passages start out with above all, would you just take a second? Because if you're not careful, you're about to miss something really, really important. And we do it all the time. So the Bible says, above all, given everything I've ever said to you, Peter is saying to these people in this church, above everything, do this. This is what he says. Love each other deeply. Love Above everything else, guys, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins, and then he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So love one another deeply. Another passage, love one another deeply from the heart, right? And then he goes on, he says, because love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? It's not that, that you, by you loving someone that, that absolves them of their sin, but you know what it makes, what, what, it ha- what happens is it makes you not notice. When people hurt you and offend you, I have, I, I don't know what it is, maybe it's just I have a bad memory, or maybe it's a gift from the Lord, I, the people who have hurt me deeply in my life, I cannot remember what they did. I'm being 100% honest on this. I, 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 if I have to force myself, and I don't do it, but if I would have to force myself to go back and go, now what was it again that hurt so badly? Because I can't remember it. And part of the reason why, why that occurs is because there's something about this recognition of that if I love deeply, if I love people the way Jesus has loved me, which means I love people agape, Loved, I love people without reason, without cause, without you having to do anything. There's nothing on your part. It comes from here. And the only way I can do that is because God has loved me first. But when I do that, the Bible says it covers a multitude of sins. In other words, if you sin against me, my love for you will cover that. And it will, it will be almost as if you never did it. Now, you still have to deal with your sin with Jesus. We're going to talk about it at the, at the end of this service, right? Because it's the only way sin is truly absolved because you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But our love for one another, it, it cuts off the, the harsh edges of life because we walk with one another carefully and considerately. And when we offend one another, and we will, we love one another deeply, what we do is we go, you know what? We're going we're gonna to recognize that you're hurting, and we're going to say, hey, that's okay. We, we, we want you to stop doing, you know, doing those things. At some point, you need to grow up. But in the meantime, grace is going to cover that. Love's going to cover that. So there's so much more that I could say. 
but what happens is you, you've got so many excuses that come up that if you're not careful, you'll pick one of these excuses, you'll, you'll dig in deep, and you will keep yourself away from what God intended to bless you and to benefit in your life. So I'm going to just give you four choices that you can make. Now that I've taken away all of your excuses, <laughs> hopefully, I want to just give you four simple choices that you can make that is, it's going to help you and it's going to build into you what God intended to build into you. And so the first one is just to choose to nurture healthy relationships. So this is, you already have these relationships. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I'm an uncle. Uh, yesterday I drove up, I thought, to Clanton. Turned out that they, they were doing the baseball game up in Calera, so we had to drive it almost another uh, 40 minutes past that. So we left early, but not early enough, so we got up there. Didn't have cash. They wouldn't let me use my card. I'm like, what, what are you guys from, you know, anyway. <laughs> so I had to go back out, find a, find a bank, and get money out of the ATM that cost me $800 or whatever their fees are by the time it's all said and done. I come back with some cash, paid to get in. My, my, my little nephew's out there already playing, and I just uh, I, I walk up, hey, man, we're here. It's like, he's like, and he sees me, and his face just lights up, right? That's just what I could care less about baseball, Right? I know just enough to get me in trouble. But I, I did all that, and then we got stuck on the interstate for almost an hour because there was a wreck up there, and, and, and so we had to go off and go out through the woods. And we end up this place, and I'm so frustrated. about Karen and I are about to pull each other's hair out. We're like, this is horrible. This, and I see that little boy. There's two of them, but I see that little boy in his little baseball uniform. The, the little one wasn't pre- playing. And I look at him, and everything that I'd sacrificed just went away, Right? Because that's a relationship that was worth everything that I did. I spend so much money when I go see those kids. They're like, Uncle Dave, can I have, can I have this? I'm like, sure, I'll buy you a hamburger at this you know, place that charges $800. I don't know what $800 is. But it's what costs when you play baseball, apparently, everything, right? I'm like, but I don't care. I'll spend it because I love them so much. So nurture those healthy relationships. This is what the, you know, the Bible talks about in so many different ways. Uh, but, but this is Colossians. It says, the whole body supported, held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So the picture here is, it's the things that hold it together. It's the things that if you're exercising and you don't exercise, your ligaments begin to get maybe not as strong as they, if you're not careful, you'll injure yourself with any kind of exercise. And so this, <laughs> right, especially as you get older, right? Not you, Dave. I was talking about me on that one. But great relationships don't happen by accident. You have to invest. And here's the thing. You need to invest and nurture relationships before they need it. Right? You don't add a log to the fire when the fire's gone out. But that's how most people come to see me about, about um, their marriage or about the challenge they have their, with their kids or the, the, the challenge they're having with a brother or sister in the church. They're like, hey, could you throw a, a, a log on this fire? And I'm like, well, First, let's start the fire because <laughs> you put the fire out, right? So if your marriage is struggling, um, you know what I'd love? I'd love for somebody to come to me and, hey, Dave, could I have coffee with you? I need to talk about my marriage, right? I say, absolutely. And they come sit down. I say, so what's wrong with your marriage? Not a single thing. Not a blessed thing is wrong. I just want to grow it and make it better. I'm like, I am going to buy your coffee today, right? <laughs> but you have, to, you have to nurture those relationships or they're going to come into some brokenness. So focus on the connecting points. If you're exercising, get good sleep, get nutrition, exercise. And if, you, if it's your marriage, fix your marriage before it breaks. Do preventive maintenance. Don't wait. Read a book together. Karen and I try to read a book about marriage. We try to go to a conference about marriage. We try to do something that's constantly building our relationships. And if we don't, those relationships will begin to fall apart. The next one is just choose to restore damaged relationships. So nurture healthy ones, but choose to restore damaged relationships. Let me say this, and this is, I hope, I hope you can hear this, um, because not everybody can if you've had a damaged relationship. But the pain of an unresolved relationship is greater than the pain of resolving one. So let me say it again. The pain of an unresolved relationship, continuing to be in a relationship that is unresolved, it just doesn't go away. That pain doesn't go away. It hides behind certain things, but anytime you see that person or think about that person or have to come together with that person for Thanksgiving or whatever that looks like, that pain pops right back into that place and it doesn't ever go away. But there's pain involved in resolving or fixing a relationship, but it's nowhere near what it costs you for that relationship to be unresolved. But this is what the Bible says. This is Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So remember we said love covers a multitude of evil? So when someone does something to you, you know how gangs work? Gangs work because of retaliation. That's how gangs work. The moment someone in a gang, a group of people in a gang, decide to no longer retaliate against another gang in the city, those gangs stop working because there's no purpose behind them anymore. Right? No, it's unhealthy, but it's still a purpose. 
So the Bible says, don't repay evil for evil if it's possible as far as it depends on you. Hear that? You, there are certain things you can't do to restore a relationship. You can only do what you can do. You can't do their part. So if they refuse, that's on them. That's not on you because the Bible says, do everything as far as it's possible. Everything depends on you. Live at peace with everyone around you. So make peace as much as depends on you. Don't, if someone is, is interested in, in opening that door, then, man, you gotta, you got to make a choice to, to go down that road. So let me just tell you a quick story. Um, I haven't shared this in a long, long time. When Karen and I were in Destin, we were living in Destin, we were trying to figure out what the Lord was doing, so we connected with a church in Panama City, so we drive you know, down that 98, I think it is, we drive for about an, an hour to go to that church, and we wanted to. We loved the people. There was a young pastor there. He was great. He's so, such a passionate guy. He's an evangelistic gift. I mean, people were getting saved. A lot of fun. They were a young couple. So Karen and I just started pouring into their life. About a year goes by, show up on a Wednesday night, not knowing Karen and I had made enemies in the church. <laughs> Did you know you could do that? So <laughs> we showed up on a Wednesday night, and the pastor brought me into his office. Karen wasn't there, actually. She had to work that night, so I was there. And the pastor brought me into his office, and he said, um, listen, I've heard a little bit about what you're doing, and I'm not going to tolerate it, and I want you to leave tonight, and I want you to never come back. And you're talking about surprise. I'm like, uh, so tell me what I've done. I, I'm happy to apologize. I've hurt some, somebody's feelings. Tell me. Nope. Nope. Don't want you here. Threw me out. Look, literally just threw me out before the service started. So I, now I've got a, an hour to drive back. You know, Karen's going to be there when I come here. Like, what do, how do I explain that, right? Um, you know that church we've been pouring our life into for a year? Well, we're not going there anymore. So, and I have no idea. So I'm searching. I'm like, God, help me. Nothing. Couldn't figure out anything that we'd done wrong. So years go by. We ended up uh, leaving Destin. We go to Atlanta for a season, connected there. And through that relationship this church had with that church, we end up here, long story short, about three or four years later, we're at a conference. We're pastoring here. We're at a conference in, in Birmingham, Alabama, walking through the hallway during one of the session breaks. And I, I literally walk right into the guy and bump into him. And so I had forgiven him. Like, it, it was hard. It's hard to forgive somebody for something they did to you, and you have no idea why it happened. But I had. I'd forgiven him. And, and so when I saw him, the pain didn't come back. Does that make sense? That's one way you know. It, it's like uh, the scar was there. I remembered being hurt. I just couldn't remember how I'd been hurt. Anyway, so I, I, I lean in, and I say, hey, man, it's, it's good to see you. How are you doing? So, I, you know, what do you say in a moment like that? And he just stands there for a long time, and he doesn't talk. And I'm like, man, is he still mad? Like, this guy can hold on to a mad, right? <laughs> He's impressive, right? So a long time he didn't talk, and then he goes, is there any way we could meet? And I said, yeah. I, like, you want to grab a coffee or something? He's like, not now. He goes, I got a bunch of people I'm responsible here for. He goes, but he said, there's any way. He goes, I don't know. Where, where do you live now? And I told him Dothan. He goes, are you serious? Like, you're just up from Panama City? He says, any way we can meet? So we made an appointment. Um, I drove down to Uncle Ernie's down in Panama City. If you've ever been there, it's a great place to eat. And we just walked around outside and, and finally went and ate. But for, for a long time, probably 30, 40 minutes, when I got there, he got out of the car and he came over to me and he said, I have to say how sorry I am. And he told me the story. He said there was a bunch of people who were intimidated by your gifting and your ministry and Karen's as well, and they thought you were trying to take over the church, and so they counseled me to, to you know, get rid of you that you were dangerous, and they gave me all these reasons, and he goes, and I trusted them. He goes, some of these guys were my, my leaders in the denomination. He said, I trusted them, and he said, Dave, I can't even begin to tell you. He said, every single person who said that about you and Karen, he said, most of them aren't married anymore. He said, they're gone through divorces, and he said, and none of them are in the ministry anymore, and he said, I just want to say how sorry I am that I did that to you. He goes, I can't even imagine the hurt that it must have caused you, and can I just tell you, I had the ability to say to him, hey, love covers a multitude of sins, man. And that relationship was restored. And we've talked a few times since then. His church is growing like crazy. Like I said, he's an evangelist. He's got the 400-member church. And, and he's moving on in the things of the kingdom. But here's the beautiful thing. When God comes and he moves in your life through these kind of works, this love, this real love that we have in Jesus, this kind of stuff, that even though God meant it for harm, God works it for good. But listen, it says it's possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I had made the choice. I was at peace with him, but he told me, he said, I have never been in peace since that day. He said, periodically, that would come up, what I did to you and Karen, and I couldn't find you to, to find out, you know, to say I was sorry. And he said, it was so kind of God that we bumped into each other in that place. So I want to tell you, it's worth it. 
So here's another one, and I'm almost done. Choose to cut harmful relationships. This is probably pretty easy, but as an example, you're in a marriage relationship, and maybe your marriage isn't what it ought to be, and you're flirting with that girl at the office, that secretary, because she gets you, and she understands you, and as soon as she marries you, she won't get you, and she won't understand you, because that's how that works sometimes, because a relationship is hard work, and, and it's not hard work just smiling at somebody that's pretty, Right? So if you're in a relationship, if that's beginning, something like that is happening. If you're not married and you're in a relationship and it's moving past where you know it ought to move, you need to just stop. You need to cut that harmful relationship. Just, if you want to, just stop right now and text them. Just tell them, Pastor Dave said, I have to break up with you. That's, what you, that's all you have to do. <laughs> it's not hard. Pastor Dave said, and the Bible said, and you know, so it turns out Pastor Dave's right. And so do it right now. It's fine. I'll take a minute if you want to do that. Anybody need to raise your hand if you want to? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so it, this is hard, right? Let me, let me read you the definition of cohabitation because this is super common in our culture right now. Cohabitation, definition online, is an arrangement where two people are not married but live together. They are often, I just started laughing when I read often, they are often involved in a romantic or sexually intimate relationship. Often, right? Some guy came to me one time. He said, hey, I'm moving in. You know, I'm bringing somebody in. They're moving into the apartment. And, you know, we're going to share rent and everything. I'm like, really? What's his name? Oh, it's not a he. It's a girl. I'm like, oh, no. No. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Yes, it's going to happen, right? That's why you're doing it. Let's be honest. That's why you're bringing that girl into your apartment. It ain't to pay the rent. You can come up with the rent. We know. So don't do that foolishness. By the way, the Webster's definition, Webster's Dictionary from 1913, before we started changing words and stuff, it says the living together of a man and woman in a sexual relationship, right? In other words, we know. Come on. <laughs> we know what's going on. Quit, quit hedging your bet. So our pastor in Bible college, when people would get saved, it was a mega church, um, people would get saved who were cohabitating. This is what he would say to them. He, they'd say, hey, we're living together. Probably not something we should do. And the pastor's like, you think? And they say, what do we do? We should get married. He'd say, are you crazy? Why would you do that? That's, that's ludicrous. Don't do that. He said, separate. Whatever you have to do, one of you leave. Figure that out. And he said, and then talk through the relationship. And he said, in six months, decide whether you still want to get married. Not a single person who ever did that got married to that person they were living with. Not a single person. And, and mainly because this, the relationship was born in sin, it's probably not a healthy relationship, right? And so once they pulled that part of, away and stopped the sinning part, they recognized that was the only thing they had in common, was that part of the, the relationship. So just do what is necessary. This is what Proverbs 27 says about these kind of relationships. A mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. I was a youth pastor in my ministry for the last 30 years, probably a third of the time. This is 100% true. I've seen it so many times. A mirror reflects a man's face, but what he's really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. You choose people who, who you want to be like, not who are like you. You choose people you want to be like, not who want to be like you. That's not how that works, when you, especially when you're in sin. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. I used to tell teenagers that all the time. There's so much more. The Bible is so full of scriptures like that, but let me just get to the last one. Choose to start, make a choice. Choose to start a meaningful relationship. I'm gonna just share a couple of these. This is Hebrews 10, 25. Let's, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That Some people were in the habit of choosing not to meet and spend time together. It was a habit. They'd, they would, they'd done it and it had become a habit. He said, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, as challenging times, it's, this is talking about judgment day. But as challenging times come towards us, that's when we realize more than any other time how much we need people in our life, how much we need community, right? So he says, don't give up meeting together. Don't do it. It's a choice that you make. It is. There, get rid of all the excuses. That's why I started with that. It is a choice that you make. You choose. I'm too busy. No, you're not. You're not too busy. I promise you, you're not too busy. You are choosing what to do with the same amount of time that our president gets to run an entire country. So you choose what to do with your time. So it's a choice. So here's the first one. Start a relationship, a meaningful relationship with a local church. Stop going to church and become the church. Stop attending a building and a meeting and become the church that's connected through love. It takes most people a year, this has been our discovery, to find out what people are really like in a church. Why? Because most people go to church on a Sunday only and they go for, you know, 
52 times, let's be honest, I don't even show up at DCF 52 times in the year, right? I'm, there are days I'm on vacation, days that I'm, a, I'm mad at you guys and I have to drive to, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> but it takes most people a year to build enough relationship to decide whether that's the church, the local church they ought to be a part of. It takes that long to get settled, to make real friendships, to learn the DNA, to get behind the vision of the church, to learn to serve, to discover gifting and strengths, to be offended and get over it. Hear that last one? You're going to get offended. Somebody's going to rub you the wrong way. Loretta's going to hug you, and you're an introvert. That's how that happens, right? Try to get by her. Caleb, this morning, Caleb tried to come through. The guy, he was playing drums up here. He loves drums, right? So he comes through, and he was just on his way. He'd already been in the church. He'd been, and he was going, he was probably just going to get coffee. And Loretta's like, where are you going? And she just grabbed him. I was like, man, poor guy. He's like, She, hey, she loves everybody, whether you like it or not. She even loves introverts. So you are going to get offended, I promise. Not that you do that, Loretta. We love what you do. We love it. It takes you a year to learn if the leaders are real or fake, to stop knowing them as a title and discover them as people, to discover whether they're mature or immature, selfish or selfless, givers of living water or Kool-Aid peddlers. It takes you a little while. But can I just tell you, you have to make a decision to be a part of a local church. Quit holding back. Risk again. Another one is relationship with a small group. That's what we're asking you to do right now. We have seven small groups. For a church our size, seven small groups is ridiculous. I'm just telling you, it's ridiculous to have that many people who want to start and, and lead a small group. We got all kinds. One's called Captivating, Creating a Safe Space to Connect with Women in Authentic and Real Transparent Ways. This is 50,000 50, foot level. Go online. You can see these up there online. Uh, fatal Distractions, Conquering Destructive Temptations, Grace, uh, uh, I think the Mitchells are doing Grace, How God's Tender Grace Flows to Us and Through Us, that's a really good one if you don't understand Grace. Identity, Karen's doing that one. Defeating Goliath required faith, but taking the throne required identity. Faith believes what God can do, identity believes what God can do through you. You're struggling with identity, man, get in this small group. It will set you free, I promise you. Moms in Motions, time for parents with kids to get together, support one another, and let the kids play and enjoy time together. Saturday night out, this is a, a creative one, a variety of fun, creative activities, including worship, uh, creative night, dancing instructions. Are you guys going to teach worship dancing? Because I want to, I'm just <laughs> I would like to learn that. Uh, <laughs> the Chosen, watch and discuss, discuss the episodes relating scriptures. If you haven't seen uh, the series Chosen, man, you need to look at that. It's one of the best depictions of Jesus and, 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 uh, and the 12. It's just an incredible thing. I cry. I'm not even kidding when I say this. I cry almost every single episode when I watch it because it touches me so deeply in my relationship with Jesus. Relationship with the team. Get connected with a grace team. We talk about this. Teams are fun. Man, you're going to do so much more, so much more that you can do together than you can do by yourself. I won't spend a lot of time on that, but with the production team, we were talking about last, we said, why do we hide the production team back there? What are you guys doing back there that we don't need to know about? That's what we want. And they said, well, you could make it transparent and clear on the front. And then Jen said, then you guys would just treat us like fish and knock on the edge of it and like, We'll put a sign up. Don't disturb. No. <laughs> I'm just saying, they, what they do, the behind-the-scenes stuff is so amazing. Um, kids' church, finance team, if you love biblical finance and you want to help um, build into people's lives, it's such a desperate need. There's worship, communication, preaching, teaching. Um, and if we don't have a team that you have a gift and a calling towards, come talk to me. I'd love to build it around your gift and your calling, what the Lord is doing in you. But just get together. And lastly, lastly, and most importantly, Will you build a meaningful relationship with God if you don't have one? Maybe you've been in church your whole life, um, and, and if, if, you were to, if, if someone were to ask you, what's God like to you, how would you describe him? Would, would you describe him like a, a father who, who's kind of disowned you, a father who lives far, far away, and you have kind of a broken relationship? How would you describe your relationship with God? If it's not intimate, if it's not you can sit in his lap, if you, can, if you can't come to him, as the Bible says, to come to him to the throne of grace for help in time of need, if you can't do that, if you're, if you're so afraid of God that he's going to strike you down, you don't understand grace, man, go in, get into that grace community group and understand that he loved you long before you ever loved him or even thought about loving him. The reason he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross is to take away anything, which was your sin, take away all of your sin, anything that was in the way of his relationship with you. He's coming to you. You haven't come to him. He's come 
to you. Before the foundations of time, the Bible says that the, the lamb was slain before the foundations of time, before Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, which was his heart and his joy and what he wanted to do, the intimate relationship with, this, with the, the people that he had created before they sinned and they went off and the, turned the world into a downward spiral and we're all living with that to this day. Before all that, God loved you so deeply that he put a plan in action that was eternal in its significance. But you have to make a decision what you're going to do with him. So would you just do this? Would you just close your eyes just for a second? As we close this morning, relationship is miles away from religion. Maybe all you've ever known about God is religion. And I just want to challenge you. It's not about rules. It's about the fact that God wants to know you. He loves you. Genesis, I just talked about that, that he wanted to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day to know to know them deeply and for them to know him deeply. That's the passion that God has that he wants to bring you this morning. Jesus made it possible when he died on the cross. Our sin was that great divide and Jesus came and he took away all of the sin. He, he paid for all sin, past, present, and future. Anything that would ever keep you away from being in relationship with your heavenly father, Jesus took it on the cross. And so if you've never had that, maybe you're online, you're watching this this morning, you've never had that relationship with God. Would you just pray this simple prayer with me? It's not hard. And here in this room, if you want to do that, just pray this simple prayer. It's not very difficult. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for paying for my sins, for making me pure, for making me holy, for bringing me peace when there was no peace. I believe that you paid it all for me. And I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I want to live for you. And I want to be with you. And it's your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to talk to me. We'd love to get you connected with some resources that's going to help you grow in your Christian faith, especially if you're online. Just send us, a, uh, send us an email. We'd love to connect with you. But this morning, if, you, if you're not in relationship, you're missing the best part of what God built you for. So I just want to encourage you, sign up. As soon as I close this, this meeting, if you don't need prayer up here, Go on your phone and sign up for a community group right now or at least look at them and make a decision this week to sign up and get connected. You're going to be glad you did. So, Lord, we just say thank you um, for your great heart for us, Lord. Thank you for the relationships that we have in this room together. Lord, thank you for the friendships. They're some of the deepest that I've ever known. Lord, thank you that it's not about religion. It's not about uh, titles and positions. Lord, it's not about any of those things. It's about being on mission with the family that you've given us. And Lord, I love my family. Thank you for the family that you've given me, Jesus. I love them deeply from the heart. And I thank you, Lord, that they have loved me deeply from the heart and still, still continue to do that. So we celebrate who you are, Lord, and what you've done. And we celebrate this great love that you built, built us up together inside of this community. We celebrate that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, we would love to pray for you. There will be some ministry at the front. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thanks.